Welcome to the Lighthouse Experiment, a Freedom Center Church podcast. Welcome back to the Lighthouse Experiment Podcast. Thank you all for joining us again this week. Um, it's Jim Parkin, myself, Ashley Chandler, and we have guest Chris Petrello on with us again. So thank you so much for joining us back. We're really excited to have you again this week. I'm excited to be back. I was yeah. uh, welcomed. Uh, it was a welcomed invite, Jim. Thank you for reaching out. Absolutely. Well, and the fun part was, was that the last episode I got to like hear the conversation after you had the conversation, you know, yeah. as I'm editing and everything. Um, so I missed you, but I didn't miss you. So it was, I'm, I'm excited to <laughs> join nice you to both this time. <laughs> yeah, it's nice to officially meet you. Yeah. So, yeah, it's been how long? It's been, what, about a year since you were on? Something like that? that sounds about know. right. I'd have to go back and look, but that sounds about right. I only remember because I know I was sick in you like around sick. March. <laughs> so I was. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, you date, yeah. Dated by your illnesses. That must uh-huh. that's when we're at a certain age, right? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, yeah. Sure. So I guess we can jump right in. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I got no sense in lingering. So, uh, school shooting in Texas yesterday, you know, obviously a terrible tragedy. Um, I always, just because of my position in life, I always look at, you know, kind of my worldview is always from that of a a first responder first. You know, I always am thinking about that angle and kind of timelines and and all of these things. And then, you know, when you get into all the debates, I start getting frustrated because I'm like, wait a minute, this scene's not even over. And we're arguing already about like, you know. Yeah. And so just the effects... I have never in my career been involved in such a thing. I was not yet uh, EMT or anything when the Claire Barton boiler exploded. Were you working at that time, Chris? Were you on the road yet? It's interesting you bring that up. We were just talking about that at lunch maybe two days ago. And uh, yes, I, I was working in EMS. I had the day off. I had worked the day before. Uh, so I missed the event, but um, right. uh, Ron Green was was on the call, and uh, so he was he was talking some firsthand experiences of some stuff that he dealt with yeah. during the call, and it's it, there were some similarities too. Uh, I don't know how to how to um, make this lateral, but there at Claire the Claire Barton explosion, people were. MTA buses were brought in and patients were moved to a church. Mm-hmm. Nobody knew, nobody knew that it happened. Nobody knew that right. patients were moved. And so uh, everybody had to respond down to this church and do this triage all down there. And so similar to what happened yesterday, patients were moved from the school out to these hospitals and parents had no idea where their kids were. Right. And there were there were people waiting until today before they learned of the fate of their of their kids. Right. I didn't know that. The the unknown. And so I I don't know how you how you again make that ladder to EMS. That's a similar situation where the unknowns. Right. uh, During an event like this. Right. Well, I mean, so. Well, let's 
we're going to little circle around here. Ashley, are you familiar with Claire Barton and that explosion? No, I'm not. So it was a nursing home, and what year was that, Chris? Probably, we figured oh, it out. It was 99. Okay. Yeah. So, so nursing home and the boiler, if I'm not mistaken, blew up. Mm-hmm. It was a huge explosion. So then all these nursing home residents are displaced. You know, my mom was working. My dad was in at Holly Convalescent at the time. And so she was working there. So when he had to be in a nursing home full time, what she did to be close is took a job at the nursing home and became an administrator. But she was telling me how, you know, they moved all these patients to all these, you know, to that church. They got triaged. They obviously couldn't go back to their spot. So the nursing homes all over the county, people were just showing up with like no information, like barely patient names, yeah. no like what meds do they need to be on, what's their, like are they, they need to be in Alzheimer's lockdown, you know, they like all the stuff. Wow. So it was just wild. Yeah. But I, I can totally see how in that moment though, the, the first priority is to assess the patient, like take care right. of the patient. Like right. we'll figure out who <laughs> they are later, but we got to make sure we get, you know, right. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So what's interesting is we have all these mandatory trainings and stuff like that. We did back in the day. Okay. I only know this because I had forgotten about them for almost two decades. And then I changed agencies and they're like, we need your, your NIMS training. We need all these certifications. Okay. Like, oh, I don't remember even that, like ever doing it. But what that is, is kind of gets us, familiar with incident command and the breakdown when you have a big scenario like yesterday there's there's this whole command structure that like basically nationwide that's how we everybody understands is everybody knows that you know your place you know your lane you know and it's i would imagine it went fairly well you know throughout my career i've seen it go well on like fire scenes and stuff like that but when you mix in the emotion you know the humanity of this is elementary school kids, you know, so all these folks are, are doing the thing, but at the same time, you know, and I, I, these are probably things we'll never know, or maybe down the line we will, but maybe like if that happens in grand blank at my kid's school and I'm working, then, you know, I don't know the rules of, of MMR quite yet on how that goes. Like, do they pull me off the road? Am I working? Am I going to be active? You know what I mean? There's all these nuances that happen, you know, and it was wild to me over the course of the past 24 hours is that like, I'm looking at, I'm viewing this whole thing through those lenses through, you know, then of course through chaplain lens and all these other things. And as leadership, what would I do? What would I expect from our people? You know, how do you rotate them out and all these things, you know, and then also watching the world, you know, knuckles up yeah. over whether we should all have automatic weapons or not. Well, they they did a um, in Genesee County last week or yeah, it was maybe two weeks ago. They did a mass casualty training out of the yep. airport. Yeah. So there's it's probably I've never participated in one. I don't know if you have, Jim. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there is a layer of people that exist that know how to handle 
a casualty situation uh, on the on the operational side. And then, but you do bring up a good point. It's like, what about the emotional side? And then uh, we are, if for as separate as our, the companies are nowadays versus back in, in my day from working on the road, we're still, I, I do believe the brotherhood still exists. And you, you bring it up, you know, what would, how would MMR handle it? I'm, I'm pretty confident that they would take care of you. Mm-hmm. This happened, and I think that every company would step up and, yeah. and run, run the MMR call so that Jim's, Jim's truck could go down if this were yeah. something you right. had to deal with. Right. So I, I do believe, I still have faith that that's, that exists in the EMS community for sure. Yeah, yeah. I would agree. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, too, and we'll get to this in a little bit, but and I've only been over there for, like, I worked last week, and today was my first day back. And already, a couple of people, a couple of younger medics have come to me, and they said, what was it like, as if I'm Moses? <laughs> what, what You're getting like? the beard now, though, Jim. <laughs> what was it like back in, like, when you were coming up, and, sure. and how do we get back to that? Yeah. This one young medic, she said, how do we get to a place where instead of just making fun of banks EMS, we help mm-hmm. them be better. Sure. Like, how do we, yeah. you know, instead of just ripping on each other all the time, why is it mm-hmm. so competitive? You know, why can't we be, you know, and I was like, I mean, there's nothing saying we can't be. We just have kind of morphed into this culture where everything is competing for the next corner to post yeah. that. I don't, I don't know what the answer is to that. If I, if I did, I'd be a millionaire. But it's it's definitely different from from our era, isn't it? Mm-hmm. The and I I I, I kind of have some milestones of what I think happened. Yeah, the um, I think that the computers the computers ruined us. They did. We and so actually, so you're aware we. <laughs> My day when I used to, you know, have to walk to work in sandals, you know, uphill both ways in the snow. Um, we used to have to write paper reports, so kind of yeah. paper reports. And if there were multiple ambulance companies at a hospital at the same time, we were all sitting in a room together writing reports. And that was the time that where the camaraderie was really built was in that room. And it didn't matter what uniform you were wearing. We just all sat around and drank a cup of coffee and wrote our reports. And then computers got put into the ambulances and we had to write our reports on the computers. Well, you can do that outside of the hospital. So, so the culture shifted to uh, leave the hospital, get back in service and be prepared for your next call. Right. And you can write your report while you're waiting. Right. So that opportunity to sit down with one another went away. And so I believe that that's where we stopped getting to know each other yeah. socially. Right. And, um, and then, yeah, I think that the uh, the vie for the um, for the for the nursing homes to get those contracts once the contracts became up for bid, I think that that was a um, a big turning point, and everybody's competing for the same business. And then, uh, yeah, and then we we have a couple large companies that are that, you know it's it, it's face value. They come in and they're they're trying to take over everything and. Okay, that's the business model. I get it. Do your thing, but then that creates this competitive culture. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's Absolutely. pretty amazing to have that singular task of writing. Or like, it puts everybody <laughs> at the same baseline, right? Sure. Like, it sure. really is that common ground of task of we're, we're really <laughs> at the end of the day doing the same mission right. together. You know, that's pretty. Yeah, absolutely. 
That's just, I would say that's spot on, man. That is, that is, that is truly the breakdown of how mm-hmm. all of this shifted. Yeah. You know? And then when you, when you do that, when you can get back into service, um, before you get your report done, now that gains the extra call. So the yeah. person that gets out in, in service the quickest can get the call, the one more call than the other, than the other truck, the other agency. Right. And so that might have spurred some of the competition too. That whoever can get out and back on the road first or fastest, and I believe you know the agencies understand that and they know it. So if they can clear clear faster, get out back on the road faster, then we're going to get that extra call and then we just. Uh, just now, I I still think you know, Jim, you and Danny all the time would be like you know the great and powerful Alpha <laughs> One Nine Eight, yeah. you know, and you turned it into a positive challenge. You know, right. being able to spin that be as good as challenge me. into hey, <laughs> let's let's get some good. Right. Um, action going here as far as like kind of sharpening each other. Um, you know, I think that there's great power in words too. You know, it can be really easy to just kind of throw criticism, you know, mm-hmm. at other people. And I think to be people that are willing to kind of hold back and not just kind of join in on that is, is simple. Like I heard somebody today say, oh yeah, she, like I'm standing in a store and the shop lady's talking to a, you know, a customer and they're talking about lady number a or whatever you know letter a and talking about oh yeah she has no common sense like none whatsoever and it's like so this other person that's not there it's you're drawing a flat she has absolutely no common sense so it was really maybe kind of small but even some of those just micro things how we speak about people can be pretty pretty tremendous and then that kind of compounds and builds you know what we're willing to say about other people how we're willing to kind of slander and judge other people instead of being able to call people up, call people yeah. into, and it's a, you know. That's a, that's, it's, it's strange because in our little, you know, first responder culture, like there's especially like in Genesee County in the EMS community, there's people who have developed terrible reputations. And so, you know, and then so agencies will happen and they'll be involved. And, and it's everybody already knows. Everybody already knows. They know what's going to happen. They know kind of the timeline of every how it goes down. So there's, you know what I mean by that? So there's people that you could hold back on, but it doesn't matter if I hold back on saying anything because everybody already knew. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just, it's a very, for as large as the county is is a very small yeah still kind of i wouldn't say ant would you call us antiquated as far as the ems system no i i don't think so at all you know if you people think so because of how diverse it is the, the fact that there's so many companies and the fact that we service three hospitals that's a pretty uncommon occurrence um I guess let me let me backtrack. The fact that we have so many private companies, there's areas that have multiple fire departments and run municipal municipal services. But the fact that we do have um, so many private companies and we service three hospitals that are very capable hospitals, it makes us very unique. And if you compare what Genesee County does in regards to their protocols, uh, you, there are some things that we require from our providers that nobody else does. We're one of the only ones that are really strict on these certifications, the, the um, trauma certification and the pediatric certification. Not too many, not too many counties do that. So we right. require a lot of the 12 lead training. The 12 lead training was something that nobody else does that. 
or at least I don't know that I know of. And um, uh, yeah, so I don't think we're antiquated at all. I just think we're unique and different. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's the only thing I ever, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I don't know anything else. I mean, I came to Livingston and (laughs) that didn't work out. But it was just, I think, (laughs) I think largely because I was deep rooted and grew up as a paramedic in a very different, like you said, very unique, very fast paced, you know, very intense system. And so I, I just, it was, that was difficult. That was a difficult, I had to see, I don't regret, I'll never forget going down there to check it out, but I had to see and it just wasn't. I wish you would have stuck around a little longer. Uh, you, you would have loved it. They've got their stuff together down there. They have a, um, so let's compare systems, right? Let's compare Genesee County to Livingston County. So Livingston County EMS is a single provider for one county. So imagine Genesee County only had one ambulance service. That's what's happening if you live in Livingston County, you only have one ambulance company. And they have, um, they have one small hospital in Howell. They have one small hospital in Brighton. Their large hospitals that they take their critical patients to are uh, University of Michigan and St. Joe Ann Arbor, and then Sparrow if they go to Lansing, and then North Genesis, and they've got Providence Novi. So they've got to go out to get to their large facilities. So they, they do have to take care of various patients for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a medical director who's the one singular medical director who's been in that role for years, whereas Genesee County, and not to a fault, I like how Genesee County does it, it's just different. Genesee County has a revolving medical director. We get a new medical director every year, and it's a representative from one of the three hospitals. And again, not a bad thing, it's just different. Well, Livingston has the one medical director who's been overseeing their agency for years and years and years. So he's very progressive in what he expects of their crews. And, um, yeah, they uh, they're a good agency. So that's yeah, that's, that's a, a hmm. difference in in, hmm. in counties. Yeah. And so it's just one county south of us, right? Right. Yeah. And, <coughs> right. So you just you go go across a, a boundary line, and you're getting different service in comparison to what you would get in Genesee County. Right. Yeah. That's tough. You just don't <laughs> think about. <laughs> you just don't. Yeah. I've yeah. never moved and thought, hmm. Uh-huh. I wonder what the ambulatory services are here in my new town. Yeah. Like, I've never thought about that before. Like, I know that my property tax is affected by how far away I am from a fire department. But other than that, you know, it's. Right. It's interesting, huh? Yeah. Because like Pastor Carl, Chris, one of our associate pastors, they're looking, they're looking to move. So they're they're and they're looking north and like. Gaines and Swartz Creek and Grand Blank and stuff. So that was the the information I hit him with first. I'm like, oh, if you're out in those areas, you have what's called Metro Police, and it's a conglomeration of three agencies that became one. And like, this is who your responders would be, and you're kind of far out out there, so it would take a little bit longer to get this kind of care. The fire department still responds and stuff, but you know, but if you move into Grand Blank, then there's always rigs around because it's kind of like like a hub because Genesis is here. So there's always rigs passing through, you know, and just, well, it's just funny you mentioned that because that's like the first, you know, 
That's what he's dealing with right now. I'm yeah. pretty simple minded, I guess. I'm just focused on the one skill set. No, I mean you're you're dealing with what you um with what you know. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I actually I had worked at Livingston County as a supervisor and I you know, I lured Jim away for a brief second. Uh, we hired him down at Livingston and uh, he's like, Yeah, he's like, I, I like Genesee County, I'm going back. And so he, he didn't last uh, <laughs> that long. It could be said I didn't really give it a fair shake. Well, how long were you down in how long? Like, what, two weeks or something? No, it was like that. It was, like it was, it was it maybe a month, maybe maybe two months. <laughs> maybe. If, if we're being generous, maybe two months. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Just kind of was That's what all it right. was, man. That's all right. You you know you know you well, and you know what you love to do well. So that's yeah. when you know where you're like supposed I to be. Like I really, really love, I love that city, man. It's yeah. So, so buck wild that, but I just and it's just like we. Which had is a funny because for not growing up in Michigan, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, not for growing, for being out of state and moving around, for you to just mm-hmm. have such a heart for the city and the county that you're in. I mean, that's pretty special, you know. Yeah, it's just like Chris nailed it. It's just so unique and how we do things and. But yeah, super cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. What is going on in education? You could fill us in on. There's actually something huge going on in education. We um. There's a there's a representative house house representative out of Macomb County who has introduced a bill um, to the house floor that is attempting to um, uh, implement a state test. Uh, so to, not to get rid of National Registry, but to make uh, a second exam available. And so the backstory is, is that, and you're living this, Jim, the, the staffing crisis is very real. It's happening. Yeah. And um, I listened to, to the representative talk and he says, you know, we, we've been talking about the crisis for years. He says, it's time to take action and nobody's doing anything. Okay. He's like, this is, this is my stab at it. And um, so he's introduced it in a bill format. And he says, uh, let's, let, let's let the state write the exam that allows a paramedic to become licensed. Currently, okay. we have to take a national examination of national registry. And um, he doesn't want to do away with that, but he wants to let the state write an exam. So why does, why would he not? Great why? question. Yeah. <laughs> so what would be the changes? To, what would yeah. be the Michigan version and why? Sure. So the, the behind the scenes, in order to take the National Registry examination, you have to graduate from an accredited paramedic program. We have to go through national accreditation. Okay. So we have to meet a lot of standards to be able to operate as a paramedic program. And if you don't test with National Registry, then you don't have to come from an accredited school. So if you if you're a, if you want to uh, open up Ashley's paramedic program and just do the the state exam, you wouldn't have to go through any accreditation process whatsoever. Okay. So this would give the opportunity for everybody in the state, every agency, every fire department, every anybody who wants to open up a paramedic program to essentially be able to do it with fewer standards. 
that good? What's your uh, opinion, Chris? What do you think? Well, I'll I'll pause there. I I'm very I have a I have a very deep seated opinion on this, and so I'll, I'll wait, wait a, a second, second now. Ooh, well, ooh. Why are you going to wait a second just to let us think about it? For uh, well, I was gonna, I was going to see if Jim has anything. To say. Oh, okay. I do. Yes. So I understand full well. Like you said, I'm living this crisis. Mm-hmm. But that in no way, shape, or form means that you take the standard and put it in the basement just to get, just to pump out people to have mm-hmm. more staff. Sure. Mm-hmm. That, like, I don't see how that could possibly be good. And I agree with you. It's, in my opinion, I think it's a horrible idea. So the, the standard, everybody will beat the drum and say, no, 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 we're not going to lower any standards. You know, the, the, the rules will still be the same. You're just not answering to the national accreditor. We'll still have to do the same things. I, I don't uh, see how that will happen. No. I, I don't. Uh, the, the process to get accredited is rigorous. It's thorough. Um, my job exists in order to, to maintain accreditation for our program. Like I am a full-time employee and I do accreditation work every day. Um, so the, and the, the hoops I have to jump through, the things I have to prove that we are doing, um, to maintain this accreditation is is just, it's, it's an everyday process. So to tell me that a a program that doesn't have to go through accreditation will have to meet the same standards. I just don't believe it. I don't think that they will have to. So that's part A. And so they're going to have like just Jim just said, a substandard education program. You might have a rock star educator and you might produce rock star paramedics going through this, but the programs will not have to meet the same standards. So that's so then inevitably over time, they'll decline. It mm-hmm. could start strong. It really probably would. Well, but. and let, let's, let's take a, uh, uh, let's say, let's say Grand Blank Fire wants to start their own program. They've got a great community base. They probably have some good funding available, and they'll probably be able to hire somebody who's who's great at doing, you know, training people, and they might be great. And then you go up to Ubley, Michigan, you know, the smallest town in the, the smallest city in the state with whatever, 400 residents, and maybe Ubley Fire wants to start a, a paramedic program. They're allowed to. They're able to, and they don't have nearly as much money, and they're not going to be able to ded- dedicate full-time staff. And it's going to be two people in the basement of the fire department learning paramedic stuff from, from the old crotchety fire chief or whoever it is, you know. Right. It just, it just won't, it just doesn't, there's no credibility in doing it this way. And then That's, the scarier part is that there's no accountability and then there's no transparency. Right. I have to be 100% transparent in everything I do. I have to report everything that I do. And if we don't have transparency, then how do you know you're going to a great program? Right. But, That's that part of it. <clears throat> but what that brings, though, the fact that you you have to go through all that and you have the team that you have. So we were getting ready to clear. Well, you know, we're at our our station 92 up. It's in Mount Morris. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like Saginaw, Clovis, that kind of area up by 475. Sure. And this kid, you know, looks like he's just getting ready to graduate high school. Probably even might be one of my wife's kids, you know. And he comes up and he asks if we're taking applications and one of our EMTs like, you know, or we, you can go on the website, you know, and he goes, hold on there, Hoss. He goes, you look like you're about 18. He goes, are you, do you have an EMT license? And the kid says, well, how do I go about getting that? And our, the EMT says, well, you can, I'll give you the website, the link on, you log on and there's programs in Saginaw. 
He said, or you could go get a solid base EMT education down at Genesis. And he said, and then you start there, and then you can build from there. She said, I didn't take the Saginaw MMR program. He said, so I can't speak to the levels. He goes, but I did take the Genesis program. So I understand, like, the quality of education you'd be getting. And so they get this kid. I don't know what he'll follow through. He looked fresh-faced and eager. We've we've worked very hard to build that reputation. And we've... um... I don't know. We're, we're consistent in what we do. And that's the kind of marketing we get from our uh, well, graduates and even non-graduates. We, we hear that story a lot. Yeah. Somebody to come to your program. Uh, and you know, like I said, we just, we're, I think we're doing good work. And so that's, uh, I appreciate that. Yeah. That's, that's cool. why I went, Ashley, yeah. I went through Genesis for EMT. And then I went through Genesis for medic. I went through the old FOH when they were EMT class in those trailers where the bank is now. Before, I, before we put this, the house bill to bed, I want to say a couple more things. Oh, hit it. <laughs> Go for <laughs> it, Chris. <laughs> well, the, here's my it. bigger concern, right? Here, my bigger concern is the, the idea of the state exam. Um, the national registry exam is a, uh, a process to write a test to the magnitude that they do is unmatched you can't do it and the state's not going to be able to write an exam that rivals theirs rivals registries so again we go back to standards you know and standardization yeah you're going to have paramedic a who graduates from a national registry program and and passes that exam that really high standard and then you're going to have a state paramedic who's going to pass the state exam and we can't say there's no possible way that we can say that those two standards are the same Right. And it doesn't mean that either of the paramedics are better than the other. That is not what that's testifying to. What it is saying, though, is that there are now two standards that we are allowed to meet, and one will be easier than the other. And so that really muddies the water, right? Yeah. When, we, when, when you go out for a basketball <coughs> team, you know, the, the professional basketball players, you don't lower the standard just because the team needs four more players, right? right. You still have a professional team that you got to put on the court and you still have to meet certain standards to make the team. And yeah. I kind of think of it that way. And it doesn't mean that the person who doesn't make the team isn't a good basketball player. It just means that they didn't make the, they didn't meet the criteria to make the team. And so I just, uh, I'm struggling with this because it's it's gained a lot of support. The um, the state the state's EMS office has an advisory board of communities of interest that give them advice essentially, and um, that meeting they meet uh, once a month. That meeting was last Friday, and this House bill went up for discussion, and then they vote on whether or not they're the the board or this committee is going to support it. And it, it passed 10 to eight. So there were, there were 10 communities, 10 organizations that were represented that voted yes and eight that voted no. And where I struggle is that the, the Michigan Association of Ambulance Services voted for it. The Michigan Association of EMTs voted for it. The um, Rural Health voted for it. And uh, the fire chiefs and fire union voted for it. 
And so these are these organizations that are, are, oh, and then here's the one that I really struggle with is that the Society of EMS Instructors voted for. You know, here's the, this is my group, right? This is the instructor group. And as an organization, they're saying, no, no, we think this is a good idea. And then the people that opposed it, the hospitals opposed it, the medical control authorities opposed it, um, and the, uh, the uh, College of Emergency Physicians opposed it. Those are the three big ones that come to mind. And, uh, oh, the pharmacist opposed it, flight opposed it. You know, so you've got all these well-educated, um, yeah. strong organizations that are saying, no, it's a bad idea. So it gained traction. It's um, it got introduced as a House bill. It has to go to a committee first, which it did um, last two weeks ago, last week, I'm sorry, last Wednesday or Thursday, it went to committee. And then it will either come out of committee and go onto the House floor for a vote or, or the committee will kill it. But I don't, I think they're going to put it out the floor for a vote. Um, so that may be a big change of what we're going to see happen in, in EMS in Michigan is the introduction of a state test. And then I'll, last thing I'll say, and then I'll, I'll put this to bed, is that in the bill, it even says uh, you've got two, state of Michigan, you have two years to write the test. Take two years to write it. And then we'll implement it. And I, I, I got up and spoke at the meeting last Friday at the, at the EMSCC meeting. And I said, two years. I said, we're two years to write the test. And then you're going to, then we're going to let programs operate that are non-accredited. And so they've got a, at least a year to run a paramedic program. So we're not going to see results from this for about three years. But the staffing crisis is happening today. So we go to your point, Jim. It's like, this is not a solution for today's problem. And so I don't know. I just I'm, I'm really struggling with the fact that this bill was even introduced, and it receives support from some, from some pretty smart people. Right. It seems like the people that shouldn't have supported it are the ones that did. Well, sure. sure. Chris, do you think it's part of our culture as like, like so? I'm a 52 year old paramedic, and so do you think it's guys in my age group that are like, I don't care, I'm done soon anyway. It makes no difference to me. I already, I already have my license, you know. No, I don't think that it's that. I don't think that this is a group of people that don't care. It is, however, the group of people that experienced the time when we voted in national registry. So these, the people around that table have been around for a long time. And uh, when registry became a thing, that I was around when that happened. And um, in fact, I was teaching at the time. And no, I think that, yeah, I was, I was teaching at the time. And um, so I remember when all that argument happened and there was a lot of uh, opposition to it being implemented. Um, and so I think that that's the, that's the group of people that are still sitting at the table or the people that opposed it in the first place. And, um, and so, I th you know, they're, they're playing the I told you so card. And they're blaming the staffing crisis on the fact that there's not access to education. They're saying, well, not everybody can run a program because they have to be accredited. Mm. And it's just like, oh, not everybody should be running a program. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, there's plenty of programs in the state, right? We, we did. We reduced programs. So there was about <coughs> there was 40, 45 or so before accreditation was required, and we dropped down to 25. So we did. We cut it okay. dramatically. The 25 moved up to 27, I think, is where we're at. 
And out of the 27 that are operational, we have 52 campuses around the state. So we've got satellite campuses and consortium agreements, and we have 50-some um, campuses around the state. Yeah. So, so really, and, there's no shortage of opportunities for education. I don't, I don't buy that argument. No. Well, and this yeah. is... So, but the staffing issue is not just for medics. Correct. Yeah. Interesting you bring that up, Ashley, because the EMT programs do not have to be accredited. And there are 52, there are 52 EMT programs in the state. Hmm. And yet we still have an EMT shortage. Right. So So what, what, what would you implement, Chris? Um, we we can have satellite locations operational within 30, no, anyway, between 30 and 90 days. Uh, if an agency wanted to, to run a class, run a program at their facility, uh, call, right? Call, call a local place, call whoever's running these programs and say, can you come and do this at our place? And I'll bet we'll be able to turn a lot of campuses on really quick. And we were talking about Livingston County a little bit ago. We did that. We did that at Livingston County. There's down the US 23 corridor, there's a huge gap. There's no programs between us and Ann Arbor. So it's Genesis and then it's uh, down in Ann Arbor at um, HVA, the Huron Valley Ambulance. So there's this huge gap in Livingston County. And um, uh, we did. We opened up a program there. It's operational. We've got 18 students currently going, 15. We've got 15 students currently going through programs there. And we're running a satellite, and it was pretty easy to do. And uh, you know, I don't have to be the only one to open satellites, but you know, let's get these other schools on board, and let's run satellites. Let's form consortiums. You can do what's called a consortium agreement, where I guess let me backtrack. Satellite, the satellite location, I'm in charge of what happens there. Okay. If you form a consortium, you can put the agency that wants to run the program in charge. They can run their entire show. And that, that seems to be one of the problems they have is they don't like the fact that I, I my program is slow. It, it's going to take you about 16 months to get your paramedic license, which is not very long, right? Think, put in perspective of what we're asking these paramedics to That's do in the most critical took scenario. took me a lot longer to do debits and credits. <laughs> yeah. And so the problem is, is they want, the agencies want people on the trucks faster. Yeah. We need bodies today. So they want but shorter it takes programs. takes time, though, still to do emergency about. services. I think so. <clears throat> I mean, I could, <throat> generally speaking, I could teach somebody to do my job in the two two weeks to a month. Sure. All the basic stuff. But I'm I'm yeah, not responding for somebody's life. And that's, like, that's a whole different train, the brain to respond with right. stress, all, all the things like that. Yeah. I'm should not take sure a little bit of time, I think. On the facts of the matter on this, but I, I've heard, I've been told, I don't know if it's just the state of Michigan, but that paramedics and EMTs like EMS is not considered a profession. We are we're in, we're grouped into what's called Allied Health, right? And um, so we're not considered medical professionals at the same standard that an RN would be, or physicians, okay. or. Um, we're right on line with like um, respiratory technicians. Let me let me go out to the website and see what else we're looking. Or like, that, what that's about, the group we're in. What about medical assistants? Yeah, uh, medical assistants are in there. Um, 
they have allied health. But that's the uh, that's the other struggle. It's like, well, if we if we come to the table and argue that we're we are medical professionals and we're disjointed, right? If we come to it and say, well, yeah, we're medical professionals, but we have two sets of standards. That's Correct. not what medical professionals do. Correct. No. You know? Everybody's on board with it and they follow the same rules. I see that's always been my biggest struggle is because I feel like in, in the EMS culture, we're kind of holding ourselves back. I mean, not even kind of, we're actually holding ourselves back because it's wild, just widely accepted that we just kind of are who we are. We do what we do, you know. Now being through the national registry though, could you take your medic license anywhere else in the United States? Hitting on all, it's so funny, Ashley, you're asking all the right questions, right? Way to so, go. <laughs> um, because I just had an RN friend say she'd have, yeah. she'd get all jammed up trying to, because yeah. Michigan isn't grouped in with a certain yeah. whatever, however that works. With so they're out of the 50 states, um, 46 require national registry. So there's okay. 46 of us that all follow the same rules. Um, there are two states, and it's Montana, maybe, and somebody else um, that make it optional. And then New York has been historically against registry since its inception. New York has always done its own thing. Okay, that's it. Those are your, there's three states that say now we don't we don't think registry is the thing. All of the registry states, if you have your national registry, you can go to that state. And you might have to jump through a few hoops to get the state license, but you can get the state license. Okay. Now, if we implement the state exam in Michigan and you are a brand new person going through paramedic school and you graduate with only a state license and no national registry, you cannot go to any other states unless you take an entire paramedic program over again. Okay. That's national. That's an accredited program. Okay. So it reduces mobility for employees if this bill passes. And he had the, the, there was a good argument. It's like uh, 80% of the people, the providers in Michigan let their national registry lapse. 80%, that's a huge number. But to get your registry back, it takes 66 um, continuing education credits and then you have to take the test. And that's it. So like someone like me, I was nationally registered in 2001, I think was when I had my registry and I let it lapse because I don't need it. I don't plan to leave Michigan. But if I want to get it back because I get a job opportunity in Ohio, right. then I, you know, all I have to do is 66 credit hours, continue education credits, take the examination and I get my registry card. And now I'm mobile. Versus that state graduate will then have to say, well, I want to go to Ohio for the same job opportunity. Oh, wait, I've got to do everything, everything yeah. you know, at minimum 1,100 hours of a paramedic program plus an internship plus all my clinical hours and pay a second paramedic tuition. Mm-hmm. You know, I've just paid for that paramedic tuition because I just passed that class. Oh, but now I've got to take an entire class over again to get registry. So you better do your homework. And you better you know, make a very conscious decision before you... I only let mine lapse after the last... Not the cycle I'm in now, sure. but once once I hit, you know, like 40, whatever it was, the last, not the current license, but the one before, I was like, I'm never going to go anywhere. But before that, 
there was always that little twinkle in my eye mm-hmm. for Cali, going back to Cali, and then, and there, <laughs> there is, there is some, there is some hoops to jump through. Yeah. There because we went years ago. We went to my older brother's wedding. We went to Santa Cruz, mm-hmm. and we loved it. And for a hot minute, there's like I could be uh, work at a California Sam's, check into being a California medic, and so I contacted. Yeah fire departments and they put me online with their kind of their situation with Cal fires to work with AMR and and kind of there's some stuff incorporated together. And I talked to a training officer and she said, I said, I have my national registry. And she said, that's awesome. We would need you to come in through Cal fire to take this program and to do these things. And then to take our test. Wasn't like a state test for Cal fire specifically. Okay. And at that point I was like, Oh no. Oh, didn't um, say they didn't say take an entire paramedic program over no again. <laughs> no they said be basically come here be indoctrinated and we'll have some things that you need to do yeah yeah so that's but, it you know and, yeah. and tell the tell the 17 year old high school graduate who wants to go into ems or fire to think about that before you before you enroll in your paramedic program think about this accreditation thing that 17 year old kid uh, they're not going to think about that Mm-mm. People who enroll in, in EMS programs, they, they've got a couple of things. Is the price point okay? Yeah. Um, and is it on the days that I don't work? And that's it. That's it. So if you're gonna, if your local fire department just down the road can give you a program for free because it's it's you know funded through tax dollars, and it's right down the road and it's on a day you you can get to class, you're gonna take it and you're not gonna ask any questions when you're yeah. 17, 18, 19 years old. Yeah. I see. Honestly, when people come to me, typically because I did fire first, I try to get them. I tried to their entry point to be on that mm-hmm. track. Sure. Go with a fire department. See you even like helping people or responding to stuff because you're not paying anything. Yeah. Work your way in. My chief paid for both licenses. Because okay. he had dreams and aspirations of Grand Blank Fire running ALS units and all these other things. And I was the only one interested. So he kept, he opened the door to kind of the EMS kingdom. And, and, and the rest was him, you know, just, I was like the guinea pig. But that, that was my angle. I'd, I wanted to do something because I'd been away from the military. I needed to serve in some kind of capacity. And just so, so a lot of the time I encourage young people, go join your local paid on call department, okay. build up some capital, you know, work in some whatever job. You're just getting paid to run calls to see if you even like it. Come on a ride along or three yeah. and make sure you even desire to do it. And then sure. by all means, your best option will be the national registry option. Yeah. I want to ask a question. <clears throat> so I've, the, so there, the blame is on education, saying it's not accessible. That's why the shortage is happening. Um, the other side of the coin is that retention isn't happening. Right. And there was a, a national study that was put out last year. Uh, agencies and fire departments around the country have a 25% annual turnover. So they're losing a quarter of their staff every year that they have to try and replace. 25%. And so I... Um, you know the whole the hole is in, the hole in the bucket is bigger than we can continue to fill. 
Mm-hmm. And yeah. if you look at the national registry numbers, we've had a gradual increase of like between three and five percent every year of national registry certifications being issued. So we've got a, a pretty standard clip of what we're doing, but then the hole in the bucket is so big and we're losing people so fast. That's, in my opinion, why the crisis is happening. Yes. So you really got to figure out how to plug that hole. So I, I wanted to, I wanted to after, have a question I want to ask you. <clears throat> so, so you guys both have kids, young kids, right? Mm-hmm. If, if your kids came to you and said they wanted to do EMS as a career, what would you say? Absolutely. To do it? Because I have an 11-year-old son that wants to go in the military and then wants to be a paramedic and a fireman. That's okay. awesome, Jim. Absolutely. Um, this I'm the kid, though, that this was my dream. At yeah. his age, I was going to be a fireman and a paramedic, and the Army was just a side gig. I think we're at the spot we are is because the elephant that's always in the room countrywide and every in everything is mental health Mm -hmm. we don't train for emotional and you know and mental fitness we do that like on the fire department we say we'll go pull hose all day we'll we'll drill with all that muscle guys you know Mm -hmm. we'll tell all the cool old stories but we're not actively and even you know i'm not doesn't necessarily need to be part of the you know the uh curriculum in the education piece but that's never talked about and and this is one of the only industries that you can be burnt out like i used to be that old guy that was like there's no way that you're this jaded this quick but no it's possible and coming through covid covid ruined some lives because these kids didn't have the capacity to deal with what they were seeing yeah you know and so i think i think that the mental health piece especially especially when you have a crisis, when you, when you have an agency that is like hemorrhaging staff, they have the same number of calls they need to get done. There's just absolutely no time to check up on your people. Well, so that, that brings me to a thought about, um, you know, the tight turnover. So being in, being in a hospital system, we have a pretty robust human resources department and process and something very simple it's it's you know to do a, like a 30 60 90 day check-in very common in every business around the globe right the, mm-hmm. uh, your new hire your new hire orientation your onboarding check-in at 30 days check-in at 60 days check-in at 90 days how are you are we meeting what we told you we were going to be doing as a, as a company and here's what you're doing here's your feedback about your progress and that has been proven to increase retention again in other industries. I don't think it's ever been studied in EMS, but in healthcare, it's been studied in hospitals and that's implemented as what we're intended to do. And so let me ask you, Jim, has, did that ever happen? Did you ever get anybody at 30, 60, 90 check in at you on you? Um, talk about for a second what your annual review was at SWORTS. Did you ever get sat down and said, here's here's what you're doing. Here's some goals we hope you achieve. Nope. Did anybody give you a measurement? Nope. No. My annual review was, I, you know, I sat down with Harry and he slid a hundred bucks across from our Christmas bonus. And that was my annual review. That's yeah, slid it across the table and that was my annual review. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nobody and then they ever started doing them. reviews and they would regurgitate the same one year after year after year yeah. because we uh-huh. forgot we needed to do this for our cast accreditation. Yeah. yeah. So we need to pump this through mm-hmm. to be, so we, we you know, yeah. 
dotted the I's and crossed the T's. So I want to answer your question, though, too, Chris. Yeah. So our teenager hasn't brought it up in a few months. You know, so there's a couple different layers to this. One, I want my kid, I want all my kids to do what they were knit together to do. Mm -hmm. I'm a person of faith. I believe that God has a plan for us. I believe he's going to weave all the things together. And so... I'm very careful because I was kind of brought up, you go get your college education, you go get a good paying job, you know, you make that time worth the money that you're going to go and make and stuff. And so there was a bit of pressure to go get a good, a good job. Um, but my mom was an RN, my dad sold real estate and they did, they did pretty well for themselves. Um, both grandparents opened up businesses of their own. They were entrepreneurs. They did stuff. So it was pretty cool. But so my oldest so far is it ex- has expressed interest in going into law enforcement. And so aside from the stress piece of the job, we've also had conversations about, well, you better have your financial stuff together because you're not going to be rolling in the money doing that. And so this is the other thing. We talk about, you know, teachers about, oh, you better love the job because, it, you know, people, people really love it to do it. You know, and I, and I don't think that we should put a whole industry through the grinder just because, well, you know, you should really be called to it. You know, I mean, we, you should be kind of compensated well for, <coughs> for what you do for our communities, too. So um, I think that that could be a lot better. For, for the risk-reward type thing, I feel like there's... I could do a lot safer stuff flying from my desk, making a lot more money per hour than basic EMT. I've asked about, um, I don't know, maybe 40, 40 or 45 people or so that question. And predominantly, and these are all EMS providers that range anywhere from you know, one year on the road as a paramedic all the way up to eight and 10 years on the road and, and a couple actually longer than that. Um, and predominantly the answer is no. Yep. I, would not, I would not encourage my kids to get into this profession. And so if you want to talk about that, I mean, it, it, when, when the people in the profession aren't even advertising the profession, why aren't people getting into the profession? Right. There's no kid sitting in fourth grade, well, with the exception of maybe Jim's kid, there's no kid <laughs> sitting in fourth grade aspiring to do this. Right. You know, there's, there's Jim and mine stories. It's, we, we happened on this by accident, you know, mm-hmm. I'm the same thing. It was, mine was, I didn't, I never intended going to EMS. It was just, it was a job that I needed to do so that my wife could go to school and I would be home more often. I forgot about that. Yeah. That's it, you know, and, and Jim, you know, needed something after the military. So we fell on it by accident and there's, so we can't rely on that to be the recruitment method. but we've also we also need this large percentage of people that say no i would never let my kid do this to really love the job so that they do tell every kid that they come in contact with no this job's amazing yeah and it's just not out there right and it's (laughs) and that's always been the case and it's been wild to me because i mean obviously you go through you go through seasons you know where it's just just not okay you just you just barely hanging on, but largely this is literally the coolest thing that you could ever do and get paid for. Yeah. I mean, I mean, Ashley, we've talked about this. They put us yeah. in a truck with a couple hundred thousand dollars of equipment and just say, all right, 
essentially unsupervised. Essentially you know, unsupervised. And uh, <laughs> you're going to, I don't know how it is now, but you're going to have hours of downtime yeah. to do nothing. And we're going to pay you for that. And then you're going to get interrupted for a while and you get to go be nice to some people. Right. It's not, it's not a. You're going to run them to the hospital, see your buddies, say hello. It's just the best. Yeah. It really is. I really, I mean, I really hope my kids at least go on some ride alongs, you know, at least see (coughs) what other members of the community are doing to serve, serve the rest of us. You know, I, I think it's phenomenal. I have had no understanding except for the couple times I've used emergency medical services myself, you know, or my mom coming home with maybe just a few right. stories from working in the ICU. But other than that, like, I, I I hope that my kids at least go and see to at least have an appreciation. If not, I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, part, I'm blessed to have this experience knowing friends that are in EMS you know, right. w- which is tremendous, you know, but otherwise I wouldn't, I wouldn't really know. I'd be doing my little, little lane of commuting to work and doing my nine to five and coming home and not really thinking about it a whole lot. You it's know? it's so. cool to see too, all the side stories, man. I, and obviously I've been at it a while. So I have like 18 years of stories, but like, what's cool is when you have like Austin Blythe, he goes, yeah. he goes to church with us, Chris. I don't know if he went through Genesis as EMT program. I'm pretty sure yeah. he did, mm-hmm. but he learned doing clinicals and doing ride-alongs at the public health crisis in Flint. And he's been down here living in Fenton and Linden his whole life, just 20 minutes or so away, not knowing it was a thing. Yeah. You know, and he was on that track of I'm going to do college and I'm going to do my pre-med and go to medical school and be a surgeon yeah. and do all the things. And then it was like, he comes to me, he's like, how do I make some side cash while I do medical school? And I said, well, actually, that's like a what you need to do is get actual patient clinical hours, patient contact hours. And so a lot of docs will be do EMT mm. while they're doing school. Sure. And so, and what happens is he gets on that rig and he gets the bug, he gets bit. And now he's just in this whole new big world that he didn't know existed. So funny. You know? Cause now every time I run into him, he's like, Oh, You'll appreciate this. And tell me another story that's just so exciting. That's the piece, though. That's the thing, Chris, is how do you, how to, if we want to bring back the culture, how it was when we were first coming up, is you got to figure out a way to get people to love it so much that they would want all their friends to do it and their kids and everybody. Yeah, I I don't know the answer. It's a... It's a cultural shift. The um, the divi- the divisions in age groups are very true. Millennials act- absolutely exist, and yeah. all of the the words that people use to describe millennials is very true. And it is just not a group that is that is um, out. I don't want to say out to help people because they're helpers, but they're very they're more prone to do it from behind a desk. And they've been, you know, the millennials, they've been, they've been helicoptered. That's where the, the term helicopter parent came in. And, uh, I'm in school right now. I came across a term uh, called the Blackhawk parent. And so we've got the helicopter parent where we hover and make sure everything's safe for our kid. But then the Blackhawk parent hovers to make sure that they're safe, but then we'll fight to make sure that it gets right for our kids, even if it doesn't have it. We will fight for everything. 
thing. So that our kid gets the last popsicle, or our kid gets the whatever. And those are the Blackhawk parents. <laughs> and that's how these, but that's how these 18 year olds up to age 35, I think is, maybe that's a little too high. Um, I don't know where, where it splits off with the uh, millennials. That's how they were raised. And so it's a, it's a very different age group and they're just not, they're not prone to do the hard work that we, not that they're not hard workers, but they're not out there to do it the way we do it. Right. Um, the positive side about millennials is that they're, they find shortcuts for everything and they find a way to make it easier for themselves. And so I think that that's the other thing we're dealing with is that they can, um, they can make as much money as you and I make by doing affiliate marketing on Instagram at age 19. And they can go out and work nine jobs, right. working hours that they want to work and still make the same amount of money. And it's just a different culture. And until we switch to that somehow, we're right. still going to struggle with people in this industry. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I don't have all the answers to No. I just no. have to smile because I'm like, oop, oop, yep, uh, I can relate. <laughs> yep, I yeah. can relate to that too. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, man. It's just, it's, it's just, there's different within culture, different subcultures, right? Yeah. And I've spent a lot of time with the veteran community and a lot of time with the first responder community. So outside of that, you know, it's it's hard for me to, to really to reconcile all the things going on because I just it's a very small shot group that I operate. Yeah. But I want everybody to come in. You know, I want people to see it. I want people to understand, to understand the mindset. So why we started this whole thing to begin with? Yeah. But, it is, but it's a life it's a life changing experience. Even if you do it for a minute. Right. It, it is so life-changing if you have the opportunity to run a CPR call it, it immediately changes your life if you realize it or not nobody will ever be able to take the fact away that you tried to save somebody's life whether right. you're successful or not right I was in, in such a position that I was able to try to make it that I mean that's the biggest thing we can ask of another human right, right. is to try and save another life and you, nobody can ever, ever take that away from you. You'll right. always have that, even if you only do it one time. Right? That was like one of yeah. the most profound things for me. It's like, oh right. wow, right? I'm I'm part of something big here. I'm I'm right. trying to do better and make these other lives better. And the minute you get that mindset shifted, and you realize that you're not there just to get your paycheck, but you're like, wow, I, I've been put here in this in this profession to <coughs> right make other people's lives better, it's, it's, it changes you. Right. So many layers, even the times when yeah. you're just there to bear witness, you know what I mean? But it's, yeah, it is, yeah. it is, it is a big deal. You know, I had some young medics ask me, they were talking to me about veteran stuff and they were talking to me about what it's like to go to a different country. And there's another, uh, a dude that works at uh, MedStar, but he was, he was on a couple deployments and both of us, when they asked us, we were standing together. Now this is post early COVID. Okay. And I said, you guys made it through COVID. That's what deployment's like. Like what we did, how every day felt like Monday and all the different things. And it was all this 
despite the fact that all the other calls were still happening, all the, the heart attacks and the strokes and all that, but we were so hyper-focused on this pandemic, you know, that was, and I think right now what we're seeing, what we're going through, I think I really, I will really hold on to the fact that I think that really destroyed a lot of people. Oh, for sure. I think it's going to take, they ask us, they asked me at a staff meeting at church one time, like what that looks like. And my answer was, it's going to take years to recover from that. But I think, I think, um, you calling people in Jim, inviting Mm -hmm. people in, I, I 1000% believe like that is such a passion of mine for people to take the time and see and not just try to understand, but go see what it's like to be in somebody else's shoes and place and spend that time with them. That's where we can get out of like, even, even just a time of the pandemic where it's so easy to just kind of retreat and just only really care about yourself to Mm -hmm. force yourself back out to, to see and know somebody else is huge. And we, we have to work so hard to do that. And so the more that you keep inviting people in, even if they're not going to, even if it's just one ride along, because I know you've right. done that a lot with just pe- just young folks that are not even, mm-hmm. n- not uh, even going to come in. Yeah, yeah, they're not going to do it. But for them to have, to see that, right? that changes everything. That kind of stuff changes everything. It's so, it's so important for us to do that. Right. Well, that's the grind really is to, to get people interested again, that's- you know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know the answer, and uh, it's tough. And I wouldn't want to be in the shoes of the, the people running the ambulance companies right now. I wouldn't, because I, no. I just don't know the answers. So. Yeah, we were just—I was just talking to my boss today, and <clears throat> just the uh, the fuel price caveat. Oh. Yeah. yeah. That that you don't really think of. But, you know, for every 25 cents spent, it represents like $100,000 a year each truck. You know what I mean? And that's, and it's. Yeah. It impacts everything. I mean, yeah. any discretionary income, you know, the going fact that, having that dinner with folks. trucks are hard or, to come by. Yeah. Yeah. Not that they don't have, it's, it's definitely an agency with the funds, but to find a physical truck to purchase, to put on the road, you know? Yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, yeah, it's all just, there's so many layers to what's happening. There's not one, just one single thing to say, well, this crisis is because of A and only mm-hmm. A. It's not. There's just Never so is many that levels. way. And yeah. I think for us to, to be more dynamic than that, for us to really see that there's so many things that impact you know, I, I think that's wise of us to, to not pigeonhole ourselves into two different right. games and stuff. So yeah. that's good. Well, that's all I got. That's awesome. Well, I, I love these types of conversations. And Chris, you bring such a, a depth of knowledge and experience and wisdom in well, what you, you see in the industry and stuff. So this is really fun, too, because I get to, like, hear more of the nuts and bolts of things. And that's, mm-hmm. that's yeah. really, really cool. I, and I really appreciate it. Yeah. you gotta have yeah. people around to do that because i sure don't think of that stuff i just am mm. like in the i'm in the space you know but i do think about shifting the culture and it's it's cool to have young people already you know i'm coming into this new place and people know me they've seen me they know that i spent a long time 
in this area doing this job. So to instantly be there, Moses, <laughs> I mean, like, you can tell us all the things, Grand Wizard, you know, not Grand Wizard. <laughs> Edit that. <laughs> that quick. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Speak well. Um, I don't know how, yeah, how much editing you do, but the, um, you know, some pictures that popped up the other day, Jim, was um, the that you and Carrie came on. And uh, you made your wizard staff. <laughs> that was so dumb and shameful. Yeah. No, nah, it was funny. I'll leave you to tell that story. But uh, yeah, that picture popped up and it was it was quite humorous to remember that. Uh, yeah. Wild uh-huh. times. So, For yeah. Sure. Um, well, good. well, tonight's Bryn, Bryn turns 21 tonight at midnight. Oh boy. So even though we have to work tomorrow, we're going to uh, go to the bar and we're going to make sure we buy her her first drink. Uh, because she's going to go up to uh, Mount Pleasant tomorrow to celebrate with her friends, but that's uh, on our agenda for tonight. So <laughs> right I, might try to catch a, I might try to catch a nap here in the next half hour. So then there you go. <laughs> <laughs> that's Man, cool. She's twenty one. Twenty one, yeah. and then my uh, so I've got twenty one. Camden will be seventeen in July, and then Gianna will be fifteen in June. Yeah, same with Avery. That's, that's where we're July. starting. Yeah, that's where Parkins and Chandler's are starting right now. Our mm-hmm. oldest are 15. Yeah, she'll yeah. be getting ready to do driver's training this summer. So Gianna just did hers. Yeah. Because you can, yeah, 14 and a half, you can get them in there. So yeah, she, Kalina finished segment one. She's going to do mm-hmm. segment two this fall. So Yeah, yeah so we've got that. And, uh, yeah, I've got a 21-year-old in a couple hours, which is the weirdest thing to say pretty weird so hopefully we let's redo this when your guys when your oldest hits 21 and let's have that conversation let's do it i like it dude the fact that zoe turns 21 on saint patrick's day like the from the second she was born like like seconds after she's (laughs) delivered i'm holding this baby and going oh my god she's gonna turn 21 on saint patrick's (laughs) and the doc is like what my god getting ahead of yourself like no i don't think i am well and she she's fun she <laughs> is explain so much <laughs> so anyway well yeah this has been great coming I, on man yeah i hey i'll be i'm happy to come back anytime i, I enjoy doing this right on and um yeah sometime all right i'm gonna close this out with my outro well thank you to our listeners thank you freedom center church and kingdom builders for your support thanks again chris petrello for jumping on with us tonight this is a good conversation this will go up tomorrow Mm -hmm. so we'll get that posted out there i appreciate that and uh, ashley again good meeting you officially for the first time yeah and thanks for the invite absolutely absolutely all right see ya take care guys